0: Good morning and welcome in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If you would turn to the bulletin, you will see there are two printed announcements. First of all, just a reminder that our next uh, fellowship lunch following morning service in its normal place in the monthly cycle, uh, February 11th, uh, two weeks' time, and uh, details of what you're asked to bring if you're a regular part of our congregation, are there for you in the bulletin. And then secondly, uh, we're very uh, pleased that uh, our brother Jan uh, Gosmer and wife uh, Debbie uh, will be joining us, uh, Lord willing, by uh, a video link at our prayer meeting this coming week, Wednesday evening. Uh, Most of you know uh, Jan and Debbie work with uh, Wycliffe Bible Translators, have done so for many, many years. Uh, working uh, in the Etoro language uh, in the um, uh, peoples of Papua New Guinea. And so, uh, very glad to uh, have Jan and Debbie uh, with us by this uh, means, and they'll be giving us an update report, and then we'll be spending some time in praying uh, for the particular needs uh, of that ongoing work. So, Wednesday evening, Uh, please make every effort, if you're able, uh, to be with us uh, as we not only pray each week for the needs of our own assembly, but also we seek to pray for uh, the uh, worldwide church of the Lord Jesus Christ and the great uh, extension of Christ's kingdom, even as He has promised to do through His Word, and uh, in particular here through uh, the translation of the Word into the Etro language for this people group in PNG. So that's Wednesday evening. So with all of those announcements made, let us now prepare our hearts to worship God. The call to worship this morning comes from the book of Psalms and Psalm number 103. Psalm number 103 and reading verses 1 through 5. This is the Word of God. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. And so far, God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. With all that is within us, let us lift up our souls to God as we join in singing hymn number 103. Excuse me, hymn number 10. O come, my soul, bless thou the Lord thy maker. Number 10, if you're able, please stand to sing. If you will, please remain standing and turn to number 287. Lord, thou hast been our dwelling place. 287.
1: Please be seated.
0: And now let us come to God in prayer. Let us all pray. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, blessed, triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we come before You to take up the exhortation of the Holy Scriptures to bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Lord, we desire that You would help us this morning even to fulfill this glorious, blessed privilege and holy duty that we might praise You as You deserve, that we might praise You as we ought, as God our Creator, the One who made all things out of nothing and into nothing, the God who sustains all things, even we ourselves, as we are found here this morning, even giving to us each heartbeat and each breath so that we might praise Your holy name, and supremely the great God of our redemption, the God who saves His people, from their sins. Indeed, O Lord, we bless You. We praise Your great and holy name. But as we consider, O Lord, these things, we acknowledge that we are those who by nature are not holy, that in the presence of the Holy God, O Lord, we have to come and confess our sins. Sins of word and thought and deed. Sins of those things done that we ought not to have done. And the sins of things left undone that we ought to have done. Lord, have mercy upon us. Not for any good within us, for there is none by nature. But have mercy upon us for the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ, whose merits we come as Your people pleading. We plead our Savior's merits in His perfect righteousness, in His perfect atonement, in His great substitutionary work upon the cross, in the place of sinners like us. For his sake, O Lord, forgive. Forgive all of our iniquities, even as you have promised so to do. Remove our sins, we pray, even as far as the east is from the west. Our Father, then we come with our prayers of thanksgiving. We are thankful for your mercy and grace, which has sustained us in this past week even through many trials and tribulations. We thank You, O Lord, for Your temporal gifts, even as You provide each day our daily bread. Lord, You have been good to us. Indeed, as we have sung, You have been our dwelling place through all and every generation of Your people. You are a faithful God, even seeing us in all of our need and pitying us, and supplying according to Your superabundant grace. And for this, we give You thanks. Our Father, we come with our prayers of petition and intercession. We pray again for this world in all of its need, in all of the troubled spots, in all the places of warfare and strife, where there is tension and uncertainty. Lord, have mercy, we pray. We ask that you might be pleased to restore greater measures of civil peace and order, where such is lacking today. But more than that, O Lord, we pray that you would send the great message of your gospel, even that, O Lord, which accomplishes peace between men and God, and then between man and his fellow man. Lord, have mercy. Lord, we pray for our own nation. We pray for our leaders as Your Word commands us to do. We pray for each level and each branch of government in our land. We pray for our president and his administration. We pray for our Congress. We pray for our judiciary. We pray, O Lord, similarly for states and county, and even to our city officials. Lord, have mercy upon each one. In days, O Lord, where there is great difference and where there are many clamoring voices, Lord, we pray for those in office, for those who desire office in time of election. We pray that You would humble each one, that You would grant them to acknowledge that all authority in this world is established by You, that You raise up to office and You bring down. We ask, O Lord, that You might be pleased in our land to give us righteous leaders, those, O Lord, who will govern and administer and rule according to righteousness and justice. Father, then we come to pray for the needs of this congregation. Father, you know that this past week has been difficult. We pray for those who are bereaved this morning and grieving. Lord, bring the balm of your gospel to their souls this morning. Lord, we rejoice in the passing from this life even into the life to come for our sister Thelma, we thank You, O Lord, that even this very morning she sees her Savior face to face. She knows that reality, O Lord, of that which we only apprehend yet by the eye of faith, that to be without of the body is to be home with the Lord. And so, O Lord, we pray that You would comfort our hearts this morning in the reality of Your fulfilled promise. Lord, grant that we might be able even to rejoice in this great truth. And yet, O Lord, we know also the reality of temporary parting and the sorrow that it brings. O Lord, Your words, Your apostles, Christ Himself acknowledged the reality of bereavement and sorrow, even at the parting of loved ones who were in the Lord. And so, O oh Lord, we pray that You would comfort this morning and enable the family, O oh Lord, to not grieve as those who have no hope. Even as the family of the church here, we do not grieve as those who have no hope. But we believe, O Lord, that when our Lord Jesus returns, He will come with His saints, those who have died in Christ. And we know, O Lord, that such is our sister with the many, many who are now the church triumphant. And we look forward to that day, O Lord. We look forward with eager anticipation whether you might have called us home before that great day, and we are those who come with Christ in the glory, or whether we are those yet alive at that great day, and who then will be caught up to be with the Lord forever and ever, being transformed even in glorification to be in the likeness of our Saviour. Lord, may such things fill our hearts and minds this morning. May we, as Your Word exhorts us, encourage each other with these words. And Lord, for all who grieve, for all who are bereaved, Lord, whether the death may have been recent or the time has begun to pass, Lord, You know. we pray that even as with this death it may have brought back to mind, O Lord, the death of other loved ones and for other families. Comfort today, we pray, even by the ministry of Your Spirit, even through Your Holy Word. Father, then we do pray for those who are sick and sorrowing. We Remember those, Lord, who have a variety of afflictions lords whether it be ourselves or whether it be our loved ones lord you are the great physician of body and soul we think in particular of charlotte again and pray for her we thank you for what has been accomplished already by your kindness and goodness in her recovery from recent surgery But we pray on, O Lord, for these infections and ask that you would show mercy and that they might be treated quickly and effectively. Give wisdom, O Lord, to doctors and nurses responsible for her care. We Remember again the family. We pray for Mark and Nicole and the children. We pray that you would sustain them, O Lord, even through this long trial. May they know the balm of your gospel, even today. Lord, for other family members, for other friends, for others, they may be in a variety of relationship to us, whatever the circumstance, O oh Lord, you know all the details. We pray that you might bring relief from present suffering, if you so please and see fit. And that in the meantime, in which you have appointed such trial, we pray that you might grant your grace. For those who may not know you, O Lord, we pray that these trials may be sanctified to them, even to turn them to your Son, Jesus Christ. May they run to the Savior, even in the day of opportunity. And so, Father, we commend ourselves to You. You see us all here, whatever our needs may be, many as they are for each one of us. Hear us, pity us, we pray. Forgive our sins, for Christ's sake. Amen. For the consecutive reading of God's Word in the New Testament, we turn again this morning to Luke's Gospel and chapter 3. Luke's Gospel, chapter 3, commencing to read at verse 21, and reading through verse 38. Here we will come to one of the genealogies, as they are called, the lists of the generations, and often with many unfamiliar names uh, to many of us but do not allow that to put you off as we read these names. Don't tune out. Um, These were real people, real time, real space. They were family members, and they're here to remind us and to tell us that God works out His purpose in real people, in real time, in real space, and that is one of their main purposes of being recorded here in Holy Scripture. So, let's turn to Luke chapter 3 and read verses 21 through 38. Would you please rise, if you are able, for the reading of God's Holy Word? Luke 3 at verse 21. Now, when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased." Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about 30 years of age being the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Helai, the son of Methat, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Janai, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Ezli, the son of Nagai, the son of Maa the son of Mattathias, the son of Simeon, the son of Josech, the son of Jodah, the son of Joannan, the son of Reza, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the son of Nerai, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosam. The son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Jorim, the son of Mathat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam the son of Eliakim, the son of Meliah, the son of Menah, the son of Matathah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Amminadab, the son of Admin, the son of Anai, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Seruk, the son of Reu the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphaxad, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Amen. And so far, God's holy word. Please be seated. And now, again, let us turn to the Lord in prayer. Let us all pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful to be counted amongst the people of God, even as we have read of so many here of the saints of old in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his human nature. Lords, we are thankful that we are here this morning and here to hear Your Word. We pray that You would come now by Your Spirit and speak to us. Deliver us from all distractions, we pray, and grant that we may hear Your Word with faith and believe in all that You would say to us. Grant that we may apprehend it and grants that we might act upon it even as you have purposed O Lord faith in your son even to everlasting life we ask in Christ's name amen please now turn in your bibles to the book of hebrews and chapter 11 hebrews chapter 11 and we're going to read verses 1 through 4. Hebrews chapter 11 and reading verses 1 through 4. Again, please give your careful attention as we read God's Word. Hebrews 11 at verse 1. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and through it, he being dead, still speaks. Amen. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God abides forever. The Christian life is a life of faith. We began last week's Sunday morning sermon with that sentence. We begin it again this week. The Christian life is a life of faith. Faith is the instrument by which we receive the benefits of Christ's saving work. The author of Hebrews here knows that if his readers are to enter into eternal life, it will be through the possession and the exercise of faith in Jesus Christ. He makes that clear in chapter 10 and verse thirty. 9. Now, I realize last week's sermon was challenging. It was a little heavy by way of having to deal with details, both in the meaning of the words that we have in the first two verses, what we call our work of exegesis, what does it say? And then in figuring out from that exegesis, um, so what does this mean, both in terms of not only the first two verses, but all of chapter 11. What is this all about? Whether you tracked with it all or not, I wanted to, before we get back into the detail in the next verses 3 and 4, and it is in your bulletin uh, there before you, to keep the summary of what Hebrews 11 is all about. Now, you may... Take time to go back over last week's sermon, if you so desire, to think more carefully, to chase down what do these words mean, to consult a good lexicon, and so on. And it is necessary to do that. If we are going to understand what the text of Holy Scripture says, then we need to know the meaning of words, and we need to know what they mean as they are used together in the text that we have before us. But perhaps in case you got lost in amongst all of those trees, um, I want to just get the helicopter above the trees again before we start. Uh, So first summary in the bulletin, the summary of the chapter of the whole. The author here is presenting Old Testament believers as witnesses who, having received divine testimony, that is the testimony, the revelation from God Himself, they then participated in that truth, and also then point to that truth. And what is that truth? It is the unseen hope for realities of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Those realities which now from the point of view of where the author of Hebrews is, writing to New Testament believers, Those hope for unseen realities have been brought to fulfillment in the completed work of Jesus Christ. That's the big picture of what we're looking at here in Hebrews chapter 11. So, then we come to our next uh, section, verses 3 and 4. What is this all about within that big picture? Well, here in verses 3 through 4, the author begins with the creation of the world. And then turns to the first of the Old Testament witnesses he cites, Abel, uh, as he begins the list of testimony, the list of witnesses from the Old Testament believers. We're going to think about three things. First of all, by way of review again, to set context so we can uh, move forward consistently. Uh, We're going to think about that characterized faith and testimony. We're going to revisit that very briefly. And then secondly, as we come to verses 3 and 4, we're going to start with a properly understood creation. And then thirdly, we're going to think about this first witness from the Old Testament, Abel. So, characterized faith and testimony revisited, a properly understood creation, and witness-able. So, let's set our context again, our background. Characterized faith and testimony revisited, verses 1 and 2. Verse 1, as we noted last week, is not some comprehensive definition of faith, but rather a characterization of some of the key aspects of the faith of the Old Testament witnesses. That's why he writes, verse 1, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So here the author of Hebrews in chapter 11 is not directly addressing faith itself and seeking to give us a comprehensive definition and treatment of what faith is. Instead, He points to the faith of the Old Testament witnesses who understood the promised unseen future realities as God had revealed that to them through divine testimony, through divine revelation. And they then persevered in that faith. And so the Old Testament saints believed the reality of what God spoke about and revealed to them. They believed the evidence of those things in divine testimony, the things hoped for, the things not seen. Their faith resting upon God's Word, His divine revelation, the divine testimony. That's why the author goes on in verse 2 then to say, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. New Testament professor Steve Bohr says, if we were to expand verse 2 by way of, um, as it were, a paraphrase, an unpacking of it, he says we could express it like this. For in connection with their faith, God testified of the invisible objects of hope to the saints of old. That's what's going on here. And so then these Old Testament saints who received that revelation throughout the Old Testament, they who responded with persevering faith in what God had said and promised, then when we get to chapter 12, verse 1, that famous phrase, they then become a cloud of witnesses to us of these things, those who testify to the reality, the substance, and give evidence to that reality, even from the evidence of testimony they received from God Himself. Well, with that background and foundation set, Let's come then in the second place to a properly understood creation, verse 3. Having said the the background, verses 1 and 2, the author then turns to Genesis chapter 1, as we would say, and to the account of the creation. Belief in God as creator is foundational to the faith that is characterized in this chapter. These two things are inextricably linked together, belief in God as Creator and that faith which is characterized throughout Hebrews chapter 11. That's why we read in verse 3, by faith. We understand that the universe was created by the Word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible." Now the author's point here may seem a little obscure at first. Um, Why does he speak about creation before he launches into the testimony of all the Old Testament witness saints? Why doesn't he just go straight to Abel and then to all the ongoing uh, witnesses these sites. Why does He start with creation here? Well, though His point may seem a little obscure as to why is He doing this, it is one that is very relevant for us today, as it has been down through all generations. The nature of this universe in which we live, as we think about the creation or the beginning of all things, where did all this come from, how did it arise, when we think about those things, the author is telling us that it cannot be explained by evidence that is only and simply available to our outward eye, to that which we see and experience in this world. In other words, what he's saying is without faith. We cannot satisfactorily explain this universe, this world in which we exist. It's by faith that we can do that. Now, you don't have to talk to people in our day and generation for very long asking the question, so where did we come from? How did all this arise? Um, Whether you look at the sky and the glory of the day... With the sun at its height at noon, or whether you look at the glory of the stars at night, as you realize that we seem so small and insignificant um, in one planet, in one solar system, in the millions of galaxies. Where does all this come from? How did it arise? You don't have to talk long to people about those kinds of things before it becomes very clear very quickly that we live in a time and a day that's committed to thinking about those things, the universe and its origins, the history of all things that we can see that excludes God. You might get an answer I don't know, but what I do know is it's not God. You might get all sorts of other explanations, and views, and theories, but it's not God. That's the day and age in which we live, isn't it? It's particularly evident when we talk to people in our day and time, when we ask them then to give some explanation. So how did all this begin? Where did it come from? One of the most popular answers today is what is called the Big Bang Theory. You may have heard of it. Uh, Without us being astrophysicists and knowing all of the technicalities of the science that is associated with that theory, um, it generally and simply says to people like you and me, who are not great experts in astrophysics, It basically says that this universe was caused by some massive outward explosion of an incredibly dense mass. Somehow, someway, there was this mass, this dense mass, and somehow, someway, it exploded. And we now have what we have. Well, even just saying it as simply as that... Um, I'm sure there are many questions occurring to you as they occur to me. Um, Perhaps the most fundamental question is this, well, what caused it though? Where did that mass come from? And what caused it to explode? And what caused the result of that to be the glory of the heavens and the earth that we see? And. What is very ironic is that those kind of questions many, if not most, scientists leave unanswered. They do not have an answer to that. Why? Because of what it says here in the Scriptures, in the book of Hebrews, only faith provides an answer. Both for Christian and non Christian, for believer and atheist. The universe was formed out of nothing into nothing by the word of God. But it's only by faith we believe that, by apprehend that. One commentator helpfully, I think, puts it like this He says, The non Christian's faith is in the Big Bang, but the Christian finds the answer not in this kind of scientific mysticism, but in the Word of God. The universe was formed from nothing by the Word of God, who alone existed before creation." End quote that's the truth. But as the author says, it is by faith that we apprehend that. It's not something we can see with our eyes. It's not something that we can simply reason ourselves to in our human rationale and understanding. He says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what was what is seen was not made out of things that are visible what's the application of this then if God's word created everything out of nothing into nothing now don't use that phrase as if that's a question it's set up as the premise, as it were. If that is so, and it surely is, then that same Word of God is a sufficient foundation for the things here which are invisible, of which the author of to the Hebrews writes, the things hoped for and the things not seen. That's why he talks about that here. He doesn't just launch into um, a discussion theologically about creation. All of that is true, but He has a purpose in talking about that here, and that's its purpose, you see. The purpose is, if God's Word created everything out of nothing into nothing, as it truly did, then that same Word of God is a sufficient foundation for the things hoped for and the things not seen. And ultimately, that's how we distinguish biblical faith from often what many people speak of and call faith today, that popular idea of faith. You know, the sort of thing that I mean where people say, well, faith's just a leap in the dark, has no foundation. Or sometimes they say, well, it's simply blind trust, but it really has no basis. Sometimes they call it, well, it's just wishful thinking. And that's how they often accuse Christians, isn't it? Their faith is just wishful thinking. They have no real foundation for knowing it is so. Or sometimes it's called just some sort of manifestation of having a positive attitude about something. But, you know, in your heart of hearts, you know it's, at best it's probably not true. That is not biblical faith. That might, might be what many people in this world call faith, but it is not biblical faith. What is biblical faith? That which Christians have received from God and exercise in perseverance. We believe the Word of God. We believe it to be that God breathed out revelation. This is who He is and this is what He has done. And because of that, because the Word of God, we believe, is the Word of God who made all things, who upholds the universe by the Word of His power, remember the author said that all the way back in chapter 1, verse 3, and it is the Word of the God who will fulfill every word that He has spoken, particularly His words of promise concerning the things hoped for and the things yet unseen. You see, faith is not irrational, it's not a leap in the dark, it's not some blind trust, it's not just some positive thinking and attitude. Faith rests upon God's Word, the Word of the God who created all things, sustain all things, and will complete all things. That's why our faith is to feed upon the Word of God. It is to grow strong in the Word of God. It is to rest secure in the Word of God and to bear fruit from the Word of God. It was vitally important for the saints then, in the Old Testament, the saints in the first century to whom the author is writing and the saints in our own day and generation to have this Right view, proper perspective on the things that we cannot see with our outward eyes. They couldn't and we can't. And yet the author calls them here unseen realities. A proper perspective determines how we act. We've talked about that many times in different contexts, haven't we? Through many different sermons over years what we believe determines what we do. How you believe concerning the promise of God, concerning the things yet unseen, the glories of heaven above, eternal life in Jesus Christ, determines how you live. How did these Old Testament saints live? As they yet had to persevere, things yet unseen yet hoped for. They endure as we were thinking in our Sunday school hour this morning. They patiently endure it, not having yet fully received. In God's plan and purpose, they wouldn't until they received with all of God's people at the end of time. But they yet patiently endure in that belief, exercising that faith. Even in the midst of persecution, suffering, Even as the saints in the first century here, to whom the author of the Hebrews first wrote, we know that they had to endure some measure of persecution, probably already happening as he was writing to them, certainly most likely to increase in intensity in the near future. Those saints shared that same perspective, that same view, faith, trust in the divine testimony, of the reality of the promise of eternal life, salvation in Jesus Christ. The author mentions it concerning these Hebrews back in chapter 10, verses 32 through 34. And in the light of that, they are encouraged, therefore, to persevere, to persist by such faith. And they are given the uh, list here of witnesses of how they did it, so that might encourage them to do the same. And so it is with us that we have these list of Old Testament witnesses so that we might persevere as well, trusting in that same Word, the Word that brought all things into being. Do you think that's a dependable Word? Absolutely it is. Of course it is. And even in the midst of all of the difficulties, even in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of bereavement, in the midst of sickness, in the midst of suffering, persecution, and we can list all of those things which are the trials and troubles of this veil of tears. Is God to be trusted? Is His Word reliable? Absolutely, says the author of Hebrews. And he points to that first and foremost through the creation itself and says, if God's Word can accomplish that, do you think that God's Word cannot accomplish and fulfill His promise to you, Christian, that when you come to that final river, as Bunyan calls it in Pilgrim's Progress, do you think that God cannot take you over that? that He will let you fall? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And that's why even as we have prayed this morning, that's why we can say with regard to our sister Thelma, concerning her, she is with the Lord this morning. That's where she is. That's where she is even in the difficulties of us leaving this world, whatever the circumstances they may be, for each and every one of us, for our loved ones, whatever it may be, yet for those who are in Christ, those who are in the Lord's, God is good for His word of promise. He who believes in me shall never perish but will have everlasting life. And our sister has begun to enter into that. Not in fullness yet, still waiting the resurrection of the body, but in her spirit, she is with the Lord, brethren. And I trust in the midst of our sorrow, we rejoice in that. We are yet this side of the veil. Unseen realities. Hoped for realities. But they are real, brethren. And each of the saints that have passed into glory see the reality, even as we yet look with the eye of faith. Well, then that brings us in the third place to Witness Abel. Witness Abel verse 4. The first of the Old Testament saints mentioned here in Hebrews 11 is Abel. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Now notice here that the author is very careful in what he says about this sacrifice of Abel and indeed what he does not say. What does he say? And here I'm quoting from the New King James Version and likewise from the King James Translation it was a more excellent sacrifice than Cain's. Um, We might render that phrase a sacrifice of more consequence. Now again here we have to do some work in the meaning of words. Um, It's unavoidable if we want to understand what this text is saying. Here the author is using a relatively rare word But the meaning of it is long established uh, in the original Greek, which signifies something of more value or more importance. That's why it's rendered a more excellent, or we could put it, of more consequence, the sacrifice. Um, To give some illustrations, even from the New Testament biblical text, uh, without going further afield in in, uh, documents of the same time in the the Greek language, uh, in the Gospels, for instance, Uh, Matthew 6, verse 25, parallel in Luke 12, 23, um, Jesus says, Is not your life more than food and your body than its apparel? And there, that's the same word. And clearly the understanding there, the meaning there, it is of more value, right? It's of more significance. Um, What our Lord says makes no sense comparing our life with food, your body with clothing, if the meaning of the word is not more valuable, of more significance, of more consequence. Likewise, later on in the Gospel, Matthew 12, 41 through 42, parallel Luke eleven thirty-one thirty-two. 31 31-32, Jesus again says, and behold something greater, something more than Foo, uh, something more than Jonah, is here with you. Comparing prophet Jonah to himself. In uh, the parallel in Luke, he compares himself with Solomon, a greater than Solomon is here. Now, again, that makes no sense in our Lord's words unless the meaning is of greater value, of greater significance, Christ to Jonah, Christ to Solomon. And so, the rendering here of more excellent, more consequence um, is the correct one. You may see in other uh, translations uh, they've rendered it more acceptable. Uh, you find that in the ESV, uh, sometimes in the RSV2 NRSV. Um, but that rendering has no basis. You can go and look it up in, in the best lexicons. You will find no uh, basis for rendering it that way. Um, there is a word in the Greek to, to do exactly that. It's not the one the author uses here. We won't go too far down into the details of language study here. Um, but you just need to know that um, there's no established use of that um, in, in the text. And there is a perfectly good word to say that if you want to say it. And that's a different word. Some of the other translations uh, use the word better. Better. Uh, they say it's a better sacrifice um, rather than something more turning value or whatever. Um, that's not as bad a rendering, but it does tend to push us in the direction of saying, well, there's something of great significance and value in the sacrifice itself compared to Cain's. So making an absolute contrast between Abel's sacrifice and Cain's sacrifice. Uh, you'll find the New American Standard translates it that way. So does the NIV. Um, It tends to push you in the direction of saying there's something inherently valuable in Abel's sacrifice. Um, But elsewhere, the book of the Hebrews um, makes clear that that is not the case. The only sacrifice that has intrinsic value in and of itself is not any offering of the blood of bulls and goats and lambs, under all of the administration of the old covenant, but rather the only sacrifice with intrinsic value, value in and of itself, of course, is the great sacrifice of Christ. And the author has said that over and over again. That sacrifice is the one which is better by far. You remember he says that back in Hebrews 9 verse, uh, Hebrews chapter nine verse 23? He'll say it again when we get to chapter 12 verse. 24. Why? Because it alone can cleanse the conscience of those who seek to approach God. Hebrews 7, 20 through 22. Hebrews 9, verse 9, verse 14. Hebrews 10, verse 22. We can go on and on and on with the testimony of the author to the Hebrews about the sacrifice that has intrinsic value. Value in and of itself is Christ's sacrifice. And not any of the other sacrifices under the Old Testament. They pointed to this sacrifice, the one that does have value. So Abel's sacrifice was only of more value than Cain's in the sense that it was a testimony. It pointed to the great sacrifice of which the author in the Hebrews here has been talking again and again. And again, that's why I think it is much better to render it as the NKG uh, New King James does a more excellent sacrifice, or sometimes more literally, a sacrifice of more consequence. Now, this way of then understanding verse 4 that Abel's sacrifice was of more consequence than Cain's guards against misunderstandings, speculations, even. Um, that come whenever perhaps we read uh, Genesis uh, chapter, chapter 4. Um, if you read that passage, um, particularly maybe as you read it in home, uh, in family worship, uh, children will begin to have all sorts of questions. Well, what was the sacrifice? And you know, what was the significance? And why was this more significant? And, and, and sometimes we just simply have to say the text does not tell us all the answers we may have. This is another one of those examples where we may have curiosity about all sorts of things, but, but God has not seen fit to tell us certain things because they're not important to the point that's been made, and we simply have to um, uh, satisfy ourselves. God knows best in these things, uh, even over above our curiosity but it's not inappropriate to ask the question, well, what made Abel's sacrifice then more excellent? If the Hebrew, writer to the Hebrews says that, then why? What was it that was more excellent about it? What made it more consequential than the sacrifice of Cain's? Well, first of all, the, what the author tells us here, it was offered in faith, Abel by faith, whereas Cain's was not. But even there we have to be careful. Yes, Abel's sacrifice was offered by faith, but it is not just faith in and of itself. Faith always has to have an object, as we say, faith in something. That's why it is, at best, very sloppy language to say, I'm saved by faith. You are not saved by faith. You are saved by faith in Christ. You see, faith has to have an object. Faith in what? You see, you're not saved by the faith. You're saved by faith in Christ, who is the Savior of all those who put their trust, who exercise faith in Him. Here in the context We want to say faith does not again carry some intrinsic power in and of itself. Abel was not just saved by some definition of faith, some trust. He was trusting in, what? In the Lord who had revealed to him, even as it had been revealed from the very beginning, Genesis 3.15, God was going to send the seed of the woman to be the Savior. That's what he had faith in in the Lord, in the Lord's Word. That's why by faith He offered sacrifices to the Lord. You see, it's really important here that we grasp this, because when we fast forward here to the time of the Hebrews, if it's just you have to have faith, well, then these Old Testament saints, well, they could say, well, well, we do have faith, right? Um, We've been exercising faith in all of the temple worship as it's been established under Moses to offer the blood of bulls and goats at all of the established times and places. We have faith because we do this. One commentator puts it like this, faith does not carry some intrinsic power to consecrate any arbitrary gift we might devise into an acceptable service to God. If it could, the original hearers of Hebrews could rightly respond to the author's epistle by claiming that they were turning in faith to the Levitical sacrifices. If faith in God is all that is needed, why not continue in exclusive temple worship and leave the approach to God through Christ's sacrifice as an option for those who choose to follow that way, end quote. You see what he's saying? It's not just having some arbitrary faith. You say, well, I, I have faith in God and I'm going to do it this way. When God has said, that has come to a conclusion, it was only ever meant to be temporary, the Levitical code. Now the reality is the fulfillment in Christ and it's in Him and in Him alone. That's the only way. They couldn't sort of say, well, I would like to have faith in something else. I'm going to say it's faith in God, but I'm going to do it this way. No, no, no. Biblical faith again, the foundation of it is God's word, what he has said, the oath bound testimony of the Lord. And that's why the author of the Hebrews again and again was saying to these people you can't turn again and go back to something which God has now said is obsolete. It was good for the time it was given and for the purpose it was given for. It was preparatory. But that now has all passed away with the coming of Jesus Christ. Faith now is in the Son and in no one else if you would be saved. So Abel's sacrifice here in verse 4, Hebrews 11 only be regarded as a more consequence than that of Cain, because through faith he received that divine testimony to his righteousness as he trusted in what God had promised to do in sending the seed of the woman, even as was Expressed that faith in the offering of his gifts. That's why he goes on to say, look what the verse says clearly, carefully. By faith Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained uh, witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts. Why was he righteous? Not in and of himself. But because the righteous shall live by faith. That's what the, the writer of the Hebrews has just said back in verse 38 of chapter 10. He's showing an example of that, a characterization of that kind of faith in the life of Abel. Of course, expressing what the prophet Habakkuk had said. Habakkuk 2.4, the just, the righteous shall live by faith. What Paul says over and over again, Romans 1.17, Galatians 3.11, the righteous shall live by faith. By faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. God bears witness to... And attests to Abel's gift as being more valuable, more significant than Cain's, because it is a pointer to the great sacrifice of Christ, again, who would come in God's fullness of time in the future. And then as we come to this last clause in verse 4, the author clearly points again to Genesis chapter 4, in particular verse 10 when he observes that Abel still speaks of these things, even in death. Now, there is a significant difference here that we need to note very quickly. In Genesis 4-10, Abel's blood cries out to God from the earth as a cry for vengeance. Many of us will know that and will remember that. Vengeance against his murderer, his brother Cain, which God duly executes. Um, by pronouncing judgment on Cain, verses 11 and 12. But here in Hebrews 11.4, Abel himself speaks to us through faith, even though he's dead. So, in Genesis 4.10, the blood of Abel is crying out for the ground, for for justice, for vengeance, for the the murder uh, of Abel, fratricide, as we call it, murder by even a brother. Here, the focus in Hebrews 11.4, without denying all of that, it's true, and that's what Genesis 4.10 focuses on. Here in Hebrews 11.4, the author is focusing on not the blood crying out from the ground for vengeance, but on Abel himself still witnessing, even though he is dead. What's the author's point here? Well, once the cry of Abel's blood to God was recorded as part of inscripturated Word, um, uh, once that's recorded in the Bible, as we uh, call the Word of God, once that's in there, uh, once it's part of that living, active voice of Scripture, Abel becomes then that living witness, the author says, who speaks to us of the righteousness of faith. Um, even as he will go on to say when he gets down to verse 7. And so, the object of Abel's faith was that to which his sacrifice pointed, bloods which speaks better than his own. The focus here is not on the poured out blood of Abel in the crime of murder, but pointing to the faith of Abel in his sacrifice, which points to the sacrifice of the Son of God, the blood shed upon the cross at Calvary for the remission of sin. Uh, Again, the author makes that clear when we get to chapter 12, verse 24. Well, what's the so what as we close here of the testimony of Abel? Here he's testifying to... God's great purpose to send the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, who will take away the sin of the world, which is pointed to uh, in able sacrifice. That's what this is all about here, the author says. Um, question, again, by application is the same. I don't apologize for making the same as it was at the end of last week's uh, sermon. Will you receive that testimony this morning, and will you believe it? Enabled it, even at the point of the giving of his life. He was faithful in believing, not just arbitrarily in the Lord, but in the Lord's Word to ultimately send the Son of God to die in the place of sinners. That was his faith, trusting in the revealed Word of God to him acknowledged by his sacrificing to God, and that itself being a picture of what God Himself would ultimately do. Let me look out and ask you this morning, do you have such faith? Do you have faith like that, biblical faith? Faith solidly rooted in the evidence of what God has said Himself. Uh, Faith which has substance, as He calls it, in verse 1. Do you have that kind of faith that's founded on oath-bound testimony of God Himself? It testifies of who God is and what He has done. You are a sinner guilty before God by nature this morning. We all are, and there's no remedy in ourselves. But He is the remedy that God Himself has placed His Word upon, whosoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life." Let me ask you as we close, have you received that? Have you participated in the reality of that? Not just nodding your head to it in some form of intellectual assent even by way of, well, yeah, if you push me, I guess, in religious things, sure, I can, I can agree with that. Do you rest your very life upon it, is the question. If you were to die today, if you were to die this very moment, do you have the certainty, the assurance in your soul that having rested upon that which cannot fail you, the Word of God itself, that you will be in the everlasting glory with God Himself at that moment. It's a sobering question, isn't it? A sobering question. And it ought to sober us, but it's not a question that we can say it's one of those you know that the Bible doesn't answer. We talked about some of those questions that we have of idle curiosity. This is not a question of idle curiosity. This is a question of ultimate life and death, of ultimate eternal things. Do you know, do you have such faith in Christ, resting upon God's Word? Whosoever believes in the Son of God, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. May God help each one of us so to believe, and so to receive the testimony of God Himself, even witnessed to by His saints. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are thankful for the revelation of Your Word. We are thankful for the testimony that you yourself have given, which is thoroughly and totally reliable and dependable. We thank you for the testimony of the Old Testament saints, particularly through Abel, to us this morning. And even though dead, yet he still speaks, as these things are recorded in the Bible for us. Grant that there be not one among us this morning who has not such faith, grant that gift to each and every one, not to rely upon themselves, not to seek to give explanation of this world and its existence by some means of their own fallible reason, but to accept that all things that they can see with their physical eyes is because you have spoken it into existence. And by the same faith, May they then believe, O Lord, in the yet unseen hope for things, the unseen yet realities of eternity. Lord, cause each one to seek you and find you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. We turn again to our hymnals and to hymn number 281 hymn number 281, for all the saints who from their labors rest. Please rise to sing if you're able. Of God receive the Lord's blessing in His benediction. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in the Lord's mercy and peace.